All right, everybody, and welcome back to Derek's Discussions, episode 35. This is the first time that we are officially having a live broadcast, you know, sponsored by, uh, you know, StreamYard. But today I got James Hag with me today. He's part of the Red Fox Report. So, you know, before we really get into anything, you know, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously there's a lot going on just in the sports world and just everybody's life at this point with March Madness coming around. But, you know, before we get into March Madness and kind of everything going on in sports, obviously you're graduating, you know, coming up. So, you know, what are you expecting and, you know, what are your kind of plans, um, you know, after college? Yeah. So lots still up in the air right now, even though graduation's closing in, but, uh, Hopefully going to be able to jump right into, you know, the world of sports. Um, yesterday, MLB Network was here, had a good talk with them. Um, I interned at SNY last semester or last year. So hoping maybe you can work something out there, but basically probably start to get into the production side of things um, coming out of the gate, but still exploring maybe the possibility of doing some on-air work at some local news stations, but um, a lot of possibilities still in the air. So it's exciting. Is there, do you have like a particular dream job, let's just say, you know, kind of like 20 years down the road or 10, 15 years down the road where, you know, that's where you want to be or you, or is it kind of just, you know, at this point, just get into the industry and kind of figure it out as we go? Um, it's definitely a little bit of both. Cause I think, you know, to kind of get a dream job, you probably have to start out just kind of doing whatever, but, um, ideally, um, I'd be calling the Super Bowl, um, play by play, um, yeah, dream job. So, you know, shoot for the stars that or um, honestly, any play by play for any of uh, any of my teams would also be really cool. So um, Knicks, Mets, Rangers and Giants doesn't really have play by play, but, uh, you know, just for them. But, you know, same idea. Yeah, I think I think at least it's kind of hard um, to figure out, especially, you know, when you're trying to go into being a play by play, do you, you know, kind of go in in the sense of, you know, go to a, you know, let's say, you know, Montana, North Dakota, you know, kind of wherever do you go there or do you go into MLB network, you know, figure that your stuff out there, then go back to kind of that. I mean, it's tough to decide. I think there's plenty of options no matter what, but it's definitely an uphill battle no matter where you go, just in the sports media field, you know, in general, but obviously you mentioned, you know, kind of wanting to be a play-by-play broadcaster kind of at the end. When watching just a regular game, because obviously, you know, you have you're you're a sports fan and you have your own teams. But when watching just a regular, you know, sporting event, what are you looking for in itself? Like, is there some, like, and, and what's your mindset? Um, definitely now over the last couple of years now that like I'm starting to get seriously into like that's what I want to do, um, especially when it's not my team. Like I'm definitely looking at some of the stuff behind the scenes. Um, you know, that you can't see, but like, now that I kind of know what goes on behind the scenes, I'm kind of looking at that stuff. So like, um, even something as simple, like when they're coming back from commercial and like introducing like the sideline reporter, I'm thinking like, okay, so forever's doing by play by play, you know, the producers in their ear talking right now, they're trying to talk to and try to set up whatever's happening, but I know they're getting instructions in their ears. So I'm definitely looking at it, like breaking it down more, um, Mm -hmm. than I ever used to when I was just watching as a fan. Um, but even I'm trying to notice like the little things they do, like, um, on TV, like how they let the action breathe a little bit more versus like on the radio where you have to be a lot more detailed in what you do. So definitely just looking at it more like analytically than I ever used to. 
Mm-hmm. And then obviously, you know, you kind of wanting to do play by play kind of at the end of the day. Like, is there anything you look for, um, you know, from a play by play perspective, or is it just kind of more of a broader variety of like, oh, I know, you know, the director's talking to this guy, you know, the guy behind the scenes is finding a clip, um, you know, trying to do instant replay, like more production, or is there anything involved, you know, with yourself trying to be play by play after, you know, kind of college and being your, you know, dream job? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely look when I'm watching like guys now, I'm definitely listening more than I ever used to. Like, you know, sometimes the game's just on in the background, you're not really paying attention, you know, you kind of look up whatever, but now I'm trying to actually listen to like, how are they going about doing different, different things? Like how are they working in different stats um, while the game's going on to where it doesn't sound forced, but like it's helpful and it's really, you know, supplement, good supplemental information and stuff like that. Um, so kind of trying to like learn just from watching the guys that have been doing it forever. Like for the Knicks, Mike Breen is their normal play-by-play guy. He's one of the best NBA play-by-play guys of all time. So just trying to kind of watch how he does it, try to take away some stuff from that to maybe be able to better myself in the future. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, you talk kind of looking at particular guys that you watch. You obviously mentioned Mike Breen. Is there any particular guy that you kind of look at and not model yourself after, but kind of want to not necessarily be because everybody is their own person, but kind of want to be in the same situation of doing a game or whether it be doing a game or just how they go about their business. Yeah. So brain's definitely up there. Um, I mean, I'm biased to my guys too. So like Gary Cohen, I absolutely love and mm-hmm. Sam Rosen who does the Rangers, but also like nationally, like I love Ian Eagle. Um, he's great. Um, obviously Gus Johnson's great. Um, really just like the guys that are really enthusiastic. Cause that's what I do when I'm watching the game. I'm not able to rein it in. So like, I know like kind of like the older style, like the Al Michaels style, everyone was making fun of him in the playoffs um, for that Jaguars game. Like that's not as much what I want to be taking away from it. Um, So I really want to try to bring the enthusiasm like they always do. Yeah. I think kind of, I feel bad at this point because it seems like announcers are going to a different perspective in the sense of, some of them, obviously, we've seen the, you know, Charlotte Hornets guy, you know, the Vikings guy on the radio, yeah. you know, so many guys that go, you know, um, you know, kind of bananas in the sense. But then there's obviously, you know, the Al Michaels of the world and, you know, all those other guys. Do you find yourself to like broadcasting in the sense of someone to be more outgoing um, slash show their personality more? Or are you just looking for someone who can call a good game and not necessarily, you know, make the moment itself? Like, don't overdo it and don't underdo it. Like, what are you looking for in that sense? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a balance. Like, the Hornets announcer is funny, like, when it's clips on social media. But I think if I was watching 82 Hornets games a year, like, that would get old very fast. Like, I think Mm -hmm. you need a balance where you definitely want to show your personality because you want people to listen to you. And, like, at the end of the day, you're telling the story of the game. So if people aren't interested in what you're saying, if you're not showing any personality, you know, it can get boring pretty quickly. But definitely at the other end, like, there can be too much and you know, the hum diddly D's and all that. They're great when, you know, it's a really great play, but you know, sometimes it's like a free throw. And I know that one clip with the Hornets guy, it was uh, the one free throw. He was like, Terry two beauties. Like he just made a couple free throws, like relax, you know? Um, so there's definitely a balance that I would be looking for there. And then when did you start to kind of get into, you know, the sports media, you know, broadcasting, whatever, I mean, everybody has a different, you know, connotation of 
what it is, uh, sports media, sports broadcasting, whatever it is. Is there like what got you into that? So um, my family's a big sports family playing and um, watching. So I was always around sports, always watching sports. And then I would always kind of like make just comments and like it would be some I'd say something and then like the announcer would say it like 10 or 15 seconds later. And that was just kind of cool. And then my sophomore year of high school is where I really started to get involved. I was the um, public address announcer for the junior football teams in my town. So like the third through eighth grade or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it's really just parents there. It's nothing like a big deal. But we'd get up on the truck and, you know, I'd kind of mix in a little play by play with PA. So like, you know, if if he was like breaking down the sideline, like like a score, I'd start talking like, you know, he's at the 30, 20, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for all for three years, sophomore, junior, senior year with the two other guys. But at that point, I was like, I really think I can do this. I really want to do this because this is a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I'd get parents come up to me every so often like, oh, like, great job, you know. And it was just good, like, you know, reassurance. And I was like, yeah, this is definitely what I, what I want to do. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, you're graduating. So COVID didn't have like an impact on you broadcasting in high school. But what was the impact on COVID, you know, kind of you pursuing your kind of dreams in, in, in the sense? It was tough because so for me, it happened mid freshman year. It was the spring of uh, our freshman year of college. And I was in a good groove. I was working with um, the Red Fox Network doing like some camera stuff, even a little bit of like technical directing um, on like a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Um and I was really getting into a good groove. Like I was doing one or two games a week and then COVID hit and then everyone went home. And then even when we came back, they weren't really doing it the same because sports weren't totally back still and games were getting canceled left and right. So I kind of fell out of rhythm with doing that. And then I never really got back into it. Um, I did a couple of games for um, ribs class when, um, you know, we had to work a couple of games, but other than that, you know, that kind of just stopped my involvement in that, which I think, it would have been a lot more beneficial for me if I had kept going with that. So I would say for me, that was the biggest um, problem that COVID had with that. And then obviously during the pandemic, there wasn't sports going on. So obviously wanting to be in the sports industry, was there anything you kind of did to kind of counterintuitively, you know, you not being able to do, you know, certain events just based on the fact of, you know, the pandemic's going on and there's nothing, you know, really to do at, at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't do too much, honestly, um, to try to, like, further anything like that. I got really into Jeopardy. I got I started, oh, to, look okay. forward to, I started to look forward to 7 o'clock every day because that was the only new thing on every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it was just kind of like just waiting for sports to roll around again, um, you know, following, like, the NBA because there was talks about the bubble for a while before they actually ended up doing it. Um, and baseball, like, were they going to start? So it was more just like following the different leagues. Like, is this actually, are they actually coming back? Are they actually coming back? But not as much actually, you know, doing anything in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And then what is one thing that you kind of want the viewer, you know, to know about you? Um, obviously, you know, kind of, you're known in the Red Fox kind of community, but obviously, you know, there's people out there that, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, you're looking for a job and they're, they're looking up this podcast and who, who is James Hogg? um i'm one of the most passionate we'll say we'll go lightly um sports fans um you can ask anyone that i live with um watching a game with me is always an adventure there's a lot of yelling um but i think you know i can definitely when needed i can hone that in and um use that enthusiasm to you know separate myself from some other people that might not care as much 
Um, and I basically like live and breathe sports. I don't really, I mean, I watch other shows and stuff like that, but I don't really do anything else. You know, like Tuesday night, none of my teams played and I was bored. And then last night, all three of my teams played. I had the Knicks Rangers and Providence off the exact same time. And I had three screens going at the same time. And I was like cheering for one thing, getting angry at another thing. Um, so just, you know, yeah, passionate about sports. And then obviously, you know, you talk passionate about sports and kind of want to get into the industry. This is going to be the last question for part one. What really like, what do you think separates yourself from, you know, kind of other candidates when talking about the sports media industry? Um, I think one thing is definitely just like my general knowledge. I've been watching sports for so long and I feel like a lot of people that try to get into it maybe don't know a ton. And I'm not saying that I know the most. I definitely don't. And there's definitely mm -hmm. big gaps in my knowledge. But um, yeah, just like, I mean, I watch almost 82 Knicks games a year, almost 82 Rangers games a year. I probably watch like 140 Mets games a year. So especially with, um, in regards to my teams, like I'm going to be the most prepared and know the most about my teams to be able to talk about them. All right, we're going to move over to part two. We're going to talk pretty much just sports. Obviously, it seems like March Madness is coming. March Madness is coming around the corner. Uh, earlier today, Illinois State was playing. They ended up losing. I know some people in the Red Fox community were not were not too happy with that one um, after losing their bets, but but that's beside the point. But what are you excited you know, to see with March Madness coming up? Honestly, I think it's just it's wide open this year, to be completely honest. Like every time it comes this time of year, like Selection Sunday, when it comes time to like fill out my bracket, I'm always like there's no team that I really trust. And which is true because it's it's March. Anything can happen. And like I feel like, you know, two years ago, it's like, OK, Gonzaga never lost in the regular season. Like they're probably going to win. Like there was more consensus. I feel like now, like like, yeah, Alabama is really good. Um, Kansas is really good. Houston's really good. Like, there's a lot of really good teams, but like, I really feel like no one is that dominant. And on any given day, anyone can lose. And that's the best part about March every year, honestly, for me. Yeah, I think I think you bring up an interesting point of there's not that dominant team. I feel like for the last couple of years, there hasn't been that team where I'm like, even though they might not necessarily be that number one, that number two, you know, that top seed, you know, going in, you know, going in before the even tournament starts. But even I feel like, you know, once a tournament happens, usually you don't see the number one seed go very far. And I feel like from the past five years, I feel like it's more prevalent to do different more than one bracket just because of the fact that like, I don't see right now any team to win the tournament this year is kind of a year where, I think we talked about it kind of last year, um, just amongst everybody kind of, you know, wanting to figure out what's going to happen. And it seemed like, well, there's no that one dominant team. Everybody's picking, you know, the three seed. Everybody's picking all the upsets in the first round. All this, that, and the other thing. And guess what happened? Last year, you can say all you want that there was plenty of upsets and all this and that. But let's be honest here, you know, the number one seeds, the number two seeds, the number, you know, the high level seeds, you know, there wasn't as much controversy as per, from a person of, I love March Madness. I pretty much want all the upsets unless my team is in that game. Um, I think that's, I think this year is going to be similar to last year in the sense that I don't think there's going to be as many upsets as I would predict, just based on the fact that I think there's going to be more upsets 
<clears throat> than um, most people would expect. But that's kind of my opinion there. But, you know, you, t- you talk about, you know, being a Providence, you know, PC fan, Providence College, obviously. You know, I'm from Rhode Island, not a huge fan of PC, but it is what it is. But what do you like, you know, like what got you into, you know, being a Providence College fan just based on the fact of, let's be honest, you're not from, you're not from the great state of Rhode Island and, and everything. So, so what made you become a PC fan? So my grandfather went to Providence and then my dad went to Providence. Um, and I was looking there, I applied there, got in there, but they didn't really have a communications or sports communications program. So I didn't end up going, but I started watching them in like seventh grade ish. Um, okay. And they're just kind of always like the underdog. They're one of the smallest or they might actually be the smallest um, D one like school wise um, that has a D one basketball team. I don't and think they're the smallest D one basketball team, but I think they're the smallest D one basketball team in their conference, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And and like the power five plus big east. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Northwest. No, nah, I think they might be smaller than Northwest. Either way, they're they're down there. They're yeah. super small. They're smaller than Marist. Um and up until the last year or two when they got all these transfer guys and they were like ranked in like the top twenty five, they were always like an underdog scratching and clawing to get to the bubble. Um, so I, when they did make the tournament, those one or two times, it was always super exciting because it was like, this is the first time in however many years we can, you know, try to make a run. And I just love Ed Cooley, man. Like he could have left so many times to go so many other places and he stayed, he's from there. He stayed there. He's really built up a program. You know, he's involved with everyone from around there. And um, yeah, just, uh, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. I think Ed Cooley's a good coach. Personally, I'm not necessarily his biggest fan just based on the fact of you know I feel like at times things can be a little bit animated on the sidelines um he gets a little bit away with certain things uh obviously he goes way past the line um from a head coaching standpoint but obviously you know the URI coach you know Dan Hurley did that as well but I think he keeps his cool for the most part but I would say one thing about PC that you know as a Rhode Island fan that, you know, everybody kind of respects PC in the sense of like, yeah, you can say all you want about, oh yeah, they're kind of the underdog. But like, I look at this every single season. And if you look at PC in particular, you know, comparing them to all the, you know, power five schools or just all schools in, Div- in division one at this point, PC might be smaller in kind of the, you know, mantra of, you know, you have less people at the school, less undergrads, blah, 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 blah. But guess what? If you look at PC, their hockey team is good. Their basketball team is good. And you can't say like, when you look at these other teams that have lower, you know, undergrad rates or lower people, you know, at the, at the school, you can't say that they're necessarily great at athletics and PC has kind of shown that they have been good for you know, a while, especially in hockey. So I think it's kind of like, I can't really say they're an underdog just because they've been so good. Um, They're in, obviously in the Big East, which I don't really consider it the Big East. I still think of it as the Catholic seven plus however many teams, but that is, that, that's, that's just my opinion there. But, you know, obviously being a Providence College fan, do you see PC making a run in the tournament? And how far do you really do you think obviously you want them to go to the final four? Obviously you want to w- want them to go to the national championship. Personally, I don't think they're going to go as far as other people think they are. I think they have a chance to make the sweet 16, but I think elite eight is kind of a stretch. Yeah, I would agree. I, 
I mean, it depends on who they get matched up with. Their seed line is going to be keep going down. They keep they keep losing. You know, they started the season red hot, and you know they've lost a bunch of games now in the last however many. Um, I I, I don't want to say I'd be surprised if they make it out of the first weekend, but I'm I'm not so sure. I'm not so confident that they're winning. They're even making it to the Sweet 16. Um, you know, they've got a lot of good guys, and Bryce Hopkins is going to be a finalist for Big East Player of the Year, and he's really good. But it doesn't feel like down the stretch they've got a guy that can just consistently make some shots. Um, you know, I'm thinking back a couple weeks ago to that Creighton game that they ended up winning in double overtime. But if they just had some terrible possessions at the end of the game, and you can't really have that in March. Um, and the other thing is they can't win away from home. Um, last night they lost their first home game in like two years, or like a year and a half. Um, mm-hmm. So they're great at home, but they're like 500 or slightly above, below 500 on the road. And obviously you don't get any home games in the tournament. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm not – I would say my confidence level is shaky at best with the Friars heading into the tournament here. Yeah, I think PC, I think they have a chance to make the Sweet 16, but I think you're right on target. I'm not necessarily too confident that they're getting past, you know, the first round or even the second, just based on the fact of who knows, you know, matchups. Obviously, we see upsets all the time, and I think that's what makes March Madness kind of one of the greatest, you know, kind of sporting events um, of the of the entire kind of year. We're going to flip the page a little bit from college basketball ball because obviously we talk PC March Madness we'll see what happens but you know before we completely switch the page who do you think is kind of a team where you know is talked about in the sense of they can they can make a run in their tournament and they can get an upset you know kind of an upset kind of underdog team that you think can kind of uh you know not necessarily make a run but upset a team in the first round for sure um I think I think Villanova is getting a lot of buzz right now as a team that could maybe run the table in the Big East tournament. And they're not a team that anyone's going to want to play in March. Um, I mean, all the like traditional blue blood teams, a lot of them are having down years. Um, like Kentucky's not going to be a great seed, but I would not want to play them in the first round either. Um, I mean, they might end up being a, not the lower seed, but they lost yesterday to Vanderbilt. So they might be. So if they're below an eight seed, I, they, can definitely make a run you know they've been pretty hot over the last couple weeks they had obviously a lot of talent you know they were struggling at the beginning of the year um so if nova can make a run in the big east tournament i would definitely say they can make some noise um and kentucky again if they're a lower seed and they end up being a team in a position to upset i think they're definitely going to be a team to look at yeah i think a team not that they're going to i think they're going to run the table in their conference and i don't think it's going to be even a question I like Colgate. I think Colgate's one of those teams. You look at what they've done. The last three tournaments, 2019, 2021, 2022, obviously 2020 was the you know pandemic when we, when we didn't have the NCAA tournament, but I get it. They've lost in all three games. They, I, I believe last time I checked, two of the three games are close. They probably should have beat, you know, I believe it was Wisconsin. I think they played. They should have beat Wisconsin. It was in Madison, Wisconsin, and obviously when you're basically playing on the road against Wisconsin, you know it's it's tough. I believe they came in with within seven points. They played against Arkansas. I had that upset on my big board, but they didn't come through. And I think that kind of the reason they didn't come through in that Arkansas game is, you know, they were close. They were close. They were close, and they just got tired. I think this team has a little bit more depth. 
I think they don't necessarily have the guy necessarily, but I feel like they can shoot the three. Um, Keegan Records, their big man down low, is from South Kingston, Rhode Island. He went to my high school, so I'm a little biased there, but I think Colgate is going to be able to be a team. I'm not saying they're going to make a crazy run and go to the Elite Eight, Final Four, whatever, but I think that's a team to look out for, and I think that's a team that most likely in my bracket I will have them be going to the Sweet 16 just because I feel like Colgate, it seems like, you can say they lost by a lot by Arkansas. I think it was like 18 points. That game seemed a lot closer than the actual scoreboard was two years ago. I think they're a great basketball team, but in other things, I kind of want Boise State to do well. Northwestern's kind of a sleeper team this year. I think they're a team that's going to be that six seed, seven seed, depending on where they are. That's a team that could make a run, but also could get knocked out right in the first round. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in this college basketball March Madness because I think it's so unpredictable at this point because there's no one dominant team and nobody's really heard of these kind of underdog kind of stories. We saw Oregon State, you know, last year basically come out of nowhere in the Pac-12 and make a run as well. So I'm just excited for March Madness. I think it's going to be back and better than ever. I think it's going to be great. I think people are going to be animated. I'm hoping at some point in time, you know, go to one of these games. Maybe it's a Final Four. Maybe maybe at some day, some point in time, you're calling a Final Four. I'm calling the I'm calling the national championship. Who knows what's going to happen there? But we're going to turn the page to baseball. Obviously, you're you're a Mets fan, and you guys tried to sign Carlos Correa. You signed Carlos Correa. But then obviously the physical happened. It seemed like it probably was about five days that you had Carlos Correa. You know, what was your kind of thoughts when you got Carlos Correa? And then your and then your kind of your thoughts of like, okay, you lose Carlos Correa, but let's be honest here, you still got a great third baseman in Brett Beatty. Yeah, so my first thought when we signed them was, man, I love Steve Cohen. Because for so many years as a Mets fan, we had the Wilpons and they just wouldn't spend any money. And they'd sign one like middle tier free agent. And they're like, here's your guy for the next three years. This is the only signing. And now Steve Cohen's going out there and he'll, he's basically like, I will do whatever it takes for them to win a World Series. So I loved it when they signed him. I was upset when he left, but I understood why from the Mets point, they didn't want to commit to a long-term contract with a guy that had injury questions. Not that they were going to impact him now. Like I think people... Like, I think he's going to be fine for the next, like, four or five years. But the Mets mm-hmm. were going to sign him for, like, 13 years, I want to say. That's a long time Around to commit to anybody. And especially when you have major red flags being brought up about his injury that might happen down the line. That being said, between Eduardo Escobar, who did come on late last season, and great veteran presence anyway, and Brett Beatty was exciting. I mean, he only got to play a couple of weeks. He injured his thumb. He had to get shut down. Um, at first pitch was a home run in Atlanta. So how, how can you not be excited about that? But, you know, he's got some work to do with his with his glove. But if he can rein in the defense, I think he's going to be a nice offensive addition to a team that should theoretically have a pretty good offense as is. I think the Mets are kind of an interesting team in the major leagues. I don't feel like they – you can say you have Pete Alonso, but I don't think you have, like, the best hitter that's going to be the guy necessarily, but I feel like your roster construction, personally, I think your roster construction is a little bit better than the Yankees, just based on the fact of the Yankees have a lot of swing and miss guys, and I feel like their lineup is just too inconsistent for my liking. 
I kind of like how the Mets constructed is. You might call me crazy for saying that, but I think it's a little bit better. Pitching staff, I think, is about the same. I think the you know Mets might want some more bullpen pieces, you know, along with Edwin Diaz because. How do you like having one closer? Do you want to have just the closer? Do you want to have a best pitcher like Josh Hader pitch seventh, eighth, whenever you kind of want him? I mean, what are your thoughts on having, you know, a solidified closer versus having your best reliever as the guy who can kind of, you know, move maneuver, okay, put him in the sixth, seventh, eighth, just kind of spot guy? I definitely like that better. And Showalter started to use Diaz like that. Um, second half of last year when he really just established himself as like the best reliever last year. Um, if the heart of the lineup was coming up in the seventh or the eighth inning, he'd throw Diaz in there and then it's, we'll figure it out after, you know, we'll deal with the bottom of the lineup with one of our other, you know, setup guys, Adam out whoever else it may be. Um, but I mean, I think having a closer is super important when you're a winning team, you know, if you're a losing team, who cares? You're never going to get to the closer. When you're a team that needs to win games, you need to have a guy that, you know, when you get it to the ninth inning, nine times out of 10 or nine and a half times out of 10, he's going to close the door. And then being able to have a guy like Diaz who last year was able to move around a little bit, even he'd pitch two innings sometimes. Um, but being able to pitch in seventh, eighth, ninth, like the Josh Hader type, I think that's definitely super valuable. Um, Cause guess what? If you don't put Edwin Diaz in, in the seventh against the heart of the Braves lineup and you put in your second or third guy and they give up four home runs. Now you're not going to get it to Edwin Diaz. So it doesn't matter. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's my feelings on that. I think it depends. I feel like Edwin Diaz is better suited for – this is why I like the Yankees' bullpen a little bit better. You got number nine as kind of Clay Holmes. I guess you can say he's nine. But I think Michael King, uh, before he got injured, was the best pitcher in all of baseball. I don't care what anybody says. His ERA was .47, I believe, before he got hurt. That is exceptional for, you know, just pitching in general let alone being a reliever or a starter doesn't really matter. That's just, it's just absolutely, he's an absolute dog on the mound. And I think he's that guy you can, you can go along. He can pitch in the fifth. He can pitch in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, wherever you need him. I think that's the flexibility the Yankees have. And I think Michael King is kind of the X factor, you know, in the Yankees bullpen versus, you know, majority of bullpens where the Mets don't really have that guy because it seems like Edwin Diaz is more than nine. Yes, they've used him in the seventh. Yes, they've used him in the eighth. But, you know, from Edwin Diaz to Adam Adovino or whoever else you guys have, it's a huge drop-off between that besides the Yankees' bullpen. And obviously the Yankees, you know, added Tommy Canely, which is a solid add, nothing too, too special, but it's obviously good for the bullpen. You know, spring training happened. A lot of rules happened. I think it's been a lot of positive feedback so far. What are your thoughts on first we'll go just basic rules because I don't want to get into, you know, every single rule, but the pitch clock first. What are your thoughts on the pitch clock? I like the pitch clock. I mean, I know the the one video that really convinced me was I don't know if you saw this, they put a side by side of Jose Altuve hitting an inside the park home run, like on loop. And um, it was a Cubs game a couple years ago in the World Series. And Altuve ran, made seven inside the park home runs before this guy threw one pitch. Obviously, that's an extreme example. But, um, you know, I was watching Chris Bassett pitch 30 times last year, and he took 45 seconds in between pitches. And it's just like, come on, just throw a pitch. Um, I do think they might end up tweaking and making a, a tad bit longer because sometimes 
it does feel a little bit rushed, but also it's an adjustment for the, the pitchers and the batters, the umpire, you know, it's an adjustment for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're going to work the kinks out in spring training. By the time the regular season rolls around, most of these guys are going to be somewhat used to it. And by May and June, you're going to even probably forget that it's there. Um, and then in the couple of Mets spring training games that I've seen, doesn't matter how many runs they've all been two and a half hours, two forty, And I think that's definitely better. I mean, I don't care. I'll sit there for three and a half hours and watch baseball, but for most people and even me, sometimes, you know, it, it drags sometimes. Uh-huh. So I, I definitely think the pitch clock is good. Yeah, I think the pitch clock is good. Another thing to mention with the pitch clock is if there's a runner on base, the pitch clock goes up a little bit. Another thing is 30 seconds. So after the batter's done, 30 seconds for the pitcher to throw the ball. Obviously, the batter has roughly 20, I want to say like 20, 20, 25 around yeah. there, 22 seconds, something like that to get in the box, which I think was good. The only problem is people loved, you know, Bryce Harper in the playoffs when he was kind of, you know, making that moment so tense, but let's go. Come on. I mean, we've said it time and time again. You mentioned Bassett. I remember when Jonathan Papelbon was with the Boston Red Sox. I swear to God, I probably could have had, you know, a whole dinner um, and dessert and probably use the bathroom and take a shower in the amount of time that it takes him just to throw one pitch. It was absolutely absurd. I swear to God, it took him 10, 15 minutes just to throw a pitch. And I think speeding the game up is huge, not just for baseball fans in itself, but for fans of sports in general, which is kind of, Baseball's got to tater to the younger audience, and I think they're starting to do it just because of, you know, let's be honest here. I don't know if you feel this way as much as I do, but at least since the pandemic, I feel like my attention span is kaput. Like, I'm not, not that it's, like, terrible, but it, for all intents and purposes, like, it's so hard to concentrate. It's so hard to just even just focus on anything at this point because everything just seems to drag. Luckily, college, it seems to speed things up just based on, you know, you're busy doing, you know, whatever you're doing. But if I was in high school, I swear to God, I'm not sure I'd be able to make, you know, going, going to class and kind of just sitting there for an entire class because I swear to God, everything just drags. And once something happened, the concentration level of myself is just, it's, it's honestly just kaput at this point. Um, I'm with you there. Literally can't focus for more than like five seconds at a time. Um, You know, I'm watching TV, I'm on my phone, I'm doing whatever. So, and um, baseball is definitely the sport where you notice that the most because you know, every hockey, nonstop action, football, there's a break, but you know, there's every play you can show a replay. Like you're not going to show a replay of every pitch in baseball. A lot of it is literally just, you know, like the guys in the booth just talking about whatever, and you're just showing the same couple of things, you know, it, it gets repetitive and it gets boring and the season's so long that I can definitely understand where people can get lost. So I think doing this now, like not only is it just that there's a shorter time between pitches, but now, you're looking like you can almost break it into like eight second segments. Like, okay, the batter's got eight seconds to get back in the box. Okay. Now there's only seven seconds for the pitcher to throw. Like you can kind of break it down into and keep yourself engaged because it's shorter increments between when things are happening. Yeah. Um, also another thing um, that's been brought to my attention in the past, they're kind of, they feel bad with the rules because of the announcers. I don't know if it's you or I don't know if you agree with this, but 
do you feel like baseball is better suited for the radio than TV? I think baseball on the radio is personally, I think it's 10 times better than TV listening to it. Obviously I rather watch it, but I think, you know, the broadcasters itself, I feel like are better. Baseball is better suited for the radio than it is TV because when it's on TV, I swear to God, it could be Michael K. It could be whoever it is. And I swear to God, they're talking about hot dogs after the game or, you know, talking about the stadium. Like, I don't give a diddly squat about what the hell is going on. I actually give a crap about the game. Can you provide some insight on what's going on? They just don't. They talk about, you know, hot dogs or what what's across the street. And to me, I just can't take that type of nonsense when my attention span is absolutely kaput. Yeah, I, I definitely get that. I, like 90% of baseball commentary on TV is about anything other than baseball. Um, but I do understand where for those guys, like especially the guys that do, you know, one team, when you're doing a hundred and, you know, we'll just say 150 ish, 140 games, it's mm-hmm. hard every day to be able to provide new insight. Like sometimes nothing happens, between, you know, they pick, they play last night at seven, they play today at seven, nothing happens in between. So I definitely understand where it's hard to, it's gotta be really hard to just come up with random stuff. That's like, still you are trying to be interesting, even when a lot of the time is like, who cares? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's an interesting point. I never thought about honestly that it was better suited for the radio, but um, it does, it brings you into the action more because, you know, there's constantly just talking about the game. They can't afford to be talking about anything else. So I, now that you mention it, you might be right. I also feel like maybe it's just me, but I feel like if you're talking about baseball in particular, I feel like on television, just sports in general, I feel like the color commentator obviously is more important on TV than the radio. And I feel like the color commentator in baseball, like not that they're bad by any sense of the imaginations because they're not, it just seems like there's not that insight. Like, yes, you can say, okay, this guy's from, you know, Nevada, Nevada. This guy's from Denver, Colorado. This guy, you know, went to college at Oregon State or whatnot. But it seems like there's not as much nuggets, little pieces of information and, you know, like little things to talk about in baseball because it just is what it is. And I feel like the play-by-play guy on TV just basically lets the color commentator kind of dictate the conversation instead of other sports where the play-by-play guy is kind of dictating the conversation being the point guard that everybody kind of mentions about just in broadcasting as a play-by-play guy you're the point guard and baseball it just doesn't seem like that I don't know if it's just me if it's the fact I mean I I just think maybe I'm just I read too much into it but what are your thoughts there I think it depends crew to crew I mean, obviously, I watch the most Mets games, so I watch, um, you know, Gary, Keith, and Ron the most. And, again, I'm biased, but I think they're the best in the business. Um, But I feel like I would agree with that more with, like, the national broadcasts. I feel like it's just kind of like, okay, we have A-Rod, and he's just going to talk about whatever for the next half inning. Um, Mm -hmm. Versus, like, it. and don't get me wrong, the Mets guys go off on tangents all the time, just as much as any other guys. But, um it it does feel like Ron Darling, especially, and sometimes Keith Hernandez, um, they do, they're able to, because one was a pitcher, one was a first baseman, able to give some insight as to like, okay, this pitcher has been struggling. Like, why is that? All right, well, this is what's wrong with his mechanics. And so less nuggets maybe about them, like personally, but more about like analyzing what's actually going on with their game. Or this guy's been in a hitting slump recently. Like Keith does this a lot. Like watch how he's dropping his hips too early and he's stepping in the hole. Like 
stuff that like if you're not a real avid baseball fan you probably wouldn't know like okay he's just struggling like no there's actually something going on here like with his mechanics of the throwing or the hitting that's actually causing him to um you know struggle right now yeah and i think you're kind of in a sense you have one of the everybody says it kind of in new york whether you're a yankee fan or mets fan Everybody says kind of SNY kind of has the best baseball broadcast. So I feel like in that sense, it makes it a little bit better. The only thing I would might say is it's a three-man booth instead of a two. So it could dictate the conversation a little bit differently than it is. I feel like Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling are, are better at SNY than they are for MLB Network or you know wherever they else go because it seems like every announcer that's with local TV – is also with MLB Network, Apple TV, or you know where wherever the hell they they are at this point. But you know that's kind of baseball in a nutshell. Lot broadcasting perspectives, kind of everything, kind of going on is just at this point, you know, pretty crazy. Obviously, you know you're a Rangers guy. You know Patrick Kane got traded. It didn't seem like Patrick Kane was going to go to the Rangers. Obviously, they got. You know who did they? Who, what was the guy they got before they got the uh, got Patrick Kane? Yeah, they got him, and it was kind of unexpected to get Patrick Kane. They ended up getting him. So, what are your thoughts on just the additions itself that they've gotten so far? Yeah, so from my understanding, from everything like the beat writers have been talking about, basically they were going to get Tyron Sanko, and they they threw in a defenseman too, which turned out to be important because half of our defensemen are hurt or suspended, but that's another issue. Um, <laughs> So they were going to get Terrence Sanko. They gave up not really anything. They gave up Sammy Blay, who had scored zero goals in however many games. And then that was going to be it because they are up against the cap limit. Like as far, I think they have $1,600 in cap space right now to the point where for the last week and a half and now including tonight too, they're playing at least one man short because they can't afford to bring anybody up. But they talked, their Patrick Kane basically told the Blackhawks, like, no, I'm going to the Rangers. You're going to take whatever deal they give you because the Rangers were going to be out. And then they gave up nothing. They gave up a second and a fourth. The second round pick becomes up, becomes a first rounder if they make the conference finals this year. But either way, you know, for a player like Patrick Kane, that's nothing. And then uh, Chicago retained half of his salary too. So he basically forced his way onto the Rangers um, I like both acquisitions. I mean, they're both great. I'm a little bit worried about their defense as a team because their defense has been struggling all year and they just added two forwards that are not exactly known for their defense at all. Um, but Hey, I, you, anytime you get a guy like Kane, it's hard to complain. You know, he's one of the best, he's probably the best American player ever. And he's one of the best players in our generation. So, you know, I love it. Yeah, this comparison was brought to my attention. I think this is absolutely crazy. But people were saying Patrick Kane for the Rangers is like the Josh Donaldson for the Yankees in the sense that these guys were MVP candidates and now they've kind of fallen off a little bit. I think that's just absolutely absurd to compare that because I think Patrick Kane is actually still good. Josh Donaldson has too many struggles, and you can say all you want that he can play defense, but let's be honest – his defense is good because he's 37 years old. It's not actually good. Um, but I think Patrick Kane is a great addition for the Rangers. What are your thoughts on the comparison of Patrick Kane being the Josh Donaldson um, for the Rangers? Yeah, you got to tread carefully anytime you're comparing anyone to Josh Donaldson right now. But no, I mean, 
I haven't seen Kane play too much this year because um, the Blackhawks have been so bad. But um, I, I still definitely think he's got a lot left. I mean, just last week he had – or he just missed, I guess, an overtime game winner where it was like a half a second late. He's still scoring goals. He's still providing a lot. Yeah, his defense has definitely fallen off as he's gotten older. Um, but it's a rental at the end of the day. Um, you know, they asked him. He's like, I haven't thought about any kind of extension. We'll see where that even goes. But they need him for the next 20-something games of the season and into the playoffs. And I think he's going to provide enough offense that to offset whatever his defensive problems might be. So I would say um, not a fan of the comparison to Josh Donaldson. We'll go with that. We're going to flip the, sp- flip the page, if I could speak properly today. We're going to go um, to the Knicks. Obviously, you know, the Knicks are in fifth place right now. Um, some mates might say they're surprised. Some are, you know, hey, kind. Not, I don't. I don't think anybody expected it. I think everybody expected the Knicks to be a little bit better um, this season. Adding Jalen Brunson, huge addition at the trade deadline. Adding Josh Hart, I think that's a great piece. I talked about, you know, Josh Hart uh, last year when he got traded to the Trailblazers and said that's a perfect fit for the Trailblazers. Adding Josh Hart with Damian Lillard, that's something that can work. Obviously, you need pieces around those two guys, but you know that kind of worked to a certain extent. But it just seemed like Portland does just doesn't care necessarily about surrounding Damian Lillard with the best pieces um, to make sure Damian Lillard can win a championship. But with the Knicks being at the five seed right now, they play the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know. Who, if you're the New York Knicks, who do you want to face in the first round? Because it seems like you're going to be, whether it be a four seed, possibly five, six, it seems like you're going to be just above, you know, playing in the playing game. Yeah. So, I mean, if they can somehow, if the Nets can stay afloat long enough and they can face the Nets, I would gladly take that in their current state right now, but I don't think that's realistic. Um, it's tough. Like if the referees stayed out of it, I feel like they could actually match up with the 76ers. Cause I really don't think they're going that far. The Sixers, mm-hmm. the problem being the referees don't stay out of the way and, and Bede's going to get 15 free throws a night. Harden's <laughs> going to get 10 free throws a night. And that's how they've lost, but they've played the Sixers three times this year. The one game they lost, they were winning or the two games they lost pardon. They were up by double digits in the second half. And then um, the one time they won, they were down by double digits in the second half and came back to win. So they've all been good games, and they easily could have won the two that they lost. I think with Mitchell Robinson back, too, the two of those games, they didn't have Mitchell Robinson. So they were trying to play, you know, Jericho Sims. You know, I love Jericho. Or Isaiah Hartenstein um, defensively can't obviously match up with Joe and No, Almost nobody can. But Mitch, uh-huh. you know, if he could stay out of foul trouble, I think – their best bet is probably Cleveland, but I don't. I don't know. I Cleveland's good. They're you know you got the Donovan Mitchell New York thing. I don't know if I can deal with Stephen A. talking about that for a week leading up to that to that matchup. Um, they're they're a good team. The East the East is very good. So uh, you know, if I had to pick out of the realistic options, I guess I would say Cleveland. But it's going to be tough no matter what. Yeah, I think whoever the Knicks play, it's going to be a tough battle. I think it's kind of tough to see who you match up with just be based on the, you know, you looked at the Knicks. I Personally, I think the Knicks are pretty deep. I think there's still some issues of 
do you really have the number one scoring option? RJ Barrett's played well. Jalen Brunson's played well. Julius Randle actually has started to play good basketball now. Um, they have good pieces, but they don't have that guy. My question for you, though, is let's just say hypothetical. They got Don- Donovan Mitchell. They got Donovan Mitchell, and they traded. I can't remember exactly what the package was, but I believe it was like RJ Barrett, OB Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, and let's just say a bunch of first-round picks. Obviously, they probably would be the number four seed, you know, because Cleveland, the Cleveland Cavaliers would be out of it. I'm just assuming so. But yeah. are they that much better than this current team? No, I, I actually – at the time, I'm a huge Donovan Mitchell fan. I was very upset when they didn't draft him, when they passed him up. I'm a big Donovan Mitchell fan. I was upset when they didn't trade for him. But looking now – I, I don't want to say that they're better off, but like maybe because you got Emmanuel quickly is a six man of the year candidate. Um, Obi Toppin, they don't use right. So that's whatever. Um, yeah. And RJ's had his ups and downs, but he's, you know, he's averaging close to 20 a game or 20 a game. So all that for Mitchell. And then you already have Randall, who's pretty ball dominant, Brunson, who's pretty ball dominant. And then if you had Donovan Mitchell, who's pretty ball dominant, it might have been kind of hard to work that offense out. And defensively, they would have been a lot worse. Um, uh-huh. So I think, you know, like you said, they probably would have been a seat higher just because Cleveland wouldn't have been as good. Um, but I think they're probably as good or maybe even a little bit better off that they didn't make that. And they have all these first-round picks in the coming years. Yeah, I still think the Knicks need the number one guy. I think – here's what I think. I think the Knicks – this is what I said at the beginning of the season, and, and this all depends on how much the Knicks trust Julius Randle. Because personally, I don't trust Julius Randle. And at the beginning of the season, I said trade tra- Julius Randle and let's start Obi Toppin and let's actually use Obi Toppin. If you don't believe in Obi Toppin and you don't want Obi Toppin on your roster, trade him. Personally, I think Obi Toppin could be a great player. Coming out, the comparison was kind of a Murray Steinemeyer. I think that's a little bit like too high just coming out, but I think he has the ability to be somewhat similar to Amari Steinemeyer. That's the guy that I like, but I think it all depends. Do you trust Julius Randle, and how do you want to use Obi Toppin? Those are the two biggest question marks for me because if you if you trust Julius Randle and you don't want to use Obi Toppin to what you should, okay, you trade Obi Toppin, trade some picks, I don't necessarily what know what the Knicks necessarily need. I think Derrick Rose is going to be a free agent soon, so maybe you get a back point guard. You could always use you know more depth at, you know behind Josh Hart, another shooter, an actual sixth man possibly. But like I don't think the Knicks have a major major hole you know with this roster except for who's the number one guy. I think that's the biggest question mark, and I don't think you're really going to get that in the draft. So I think at this point, the Knicks are just going to have to kind of get lucky, whether it's Carl Anthony Towns wanting to get out, Damian Lillard wanting to get out. But even if, let's just say, Carl Anthony Towns wants to get out, do you trade and get rid of Mitchell Robinson for Carl Anthony Towns? I think you have to, but does that team? But does your team get better? Offensively, yes, but your defense doesn't get better. It gets worse. So I think the Knicks, whoever their star has to be, you can say R.J. Barrett. You can say Julia, uh, Jalen Brunson and Mitchell Robinson. Let's just say, for instance, that's your big three right now, not counting Julius Randle because of the uncertainty there. Julius Randle is your starting power forward, and right now Josh Hart is your shooting guard. 
personally, you can go shooting guard or small forward because you can move RJ Barrett to the shooting guard position or small forward. Either way, he's fine. Power forward, there's no power forward that is a star or superstar in the league, so you can't really do anything there. And then center, it's like, okay, you can get a center, but what are you going to do with Mitchell Robinson? Are you going to trade him? Are you going to have him come off the bench? That's the biggest question mark there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I when they got Brunson, I didn't think he was the guy because he never he never was. He never showed that he was. But the way that he's played this year, and especially this calendar year, twenty three, um, only Dame has more points than him, and it's you know by a decent amount. But Dame's also been on a ridiculous pace. So I, I mean, I think Brunson might be the guy. He's on the lower number end one of the scoring guy. option. Yeah, he's a number been one the number one scoring option. I'm telling you, only because, especially in the fourth quarter, to me, the definition of, like, the guy is at the end of the game, the defense gets tight, it's a close game, who's going to make the shots? Brunson, again, he's second in the NBA in clutch points, only behind De'Aaron Fox. So when they get down to it at the end of the game, he's the guy that's making the plays, whether it's distributing out or shooting, get drawing fouls, doing whatever, drawing the charges. He's the guy at the end of the game that I trust the most. Because time in and time out this year, he's proven that he can do it. And in terms of Randall, I'm never going to fully trust Randall just because of all the stuff that's happened. But he's talked about it this year. He's gotten um, like a sports psychologist to help out because his biggest problem was always between the ears. Like he would be fine and then something would go wrong. He'd flip out. He'd get a technical. He would be complaining to the refs, not get back on defense, all that. This year, that stuff has been almost virtually cut out. He seems to be in a much better space. Um, he is not a guy that I trust in the fourth quarter. Um, he's one of the best, better first scoring, first quarter scoring guys in the league. But um, I think because last night, I mean, they routed the Nets last night, which, by the way, I just, I don't know. I never thought I'd see the day where the Knicks had an offense like they've had the last, like, two weeks. But um, so Brunson had scored 30 in the first, and they were trapping him the entire second half. And he was distributing out and just letting other guys make plays, which gave me hope for the playoffs when I'm flashing back to two years ago when they were just doubling Julius Randle in the Hawks series. And okay. then nothing was working. This year, mm-hmm. I feel like Brunson, he can actually handle the ball because I don't trust Randle bringing up the ball. He should not be allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a guy now that, A, he can score, and B, he can distribute out even in tough spots when he's trapped against you know um, the half-court line, the baseline, whatever and trust other guys to make shots. And they're on a hot streak right now. You know, eventually they're going to come back down to earth a little bit. But they got guys that can make shots. I mean, Grimes can make shots. Quickly can make shots. Hart can make shots. Um, in the first quarter, Randall can make threes. Um, so, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling as good about the Knicks as I felt probably ever as a fan, maybe aside from the tail end of the mellow years in, or the middle of the mellow years in, like, 2012. But – I think I think they're in a good spot right now. I don't and I don't think there's an immediate trade or off-season acquisition that they can make that's like definitely going to elevate them. I think they're probably stuck in like the 4 to 6 seed range as, as is in the East, but um I can't think of anything that they can immediately do where it's like okay, yeah, that's going to take them because even if they got like a Carl Anthony Towns like yeah, he's a lot better on offense than Mitchell Robinson, but I don't. Again, I don't know if he's like a he moves the needle that much for me. Yeah, I agree on the Carl Anthony Towns take. I think 
it's kind of the only guy that I could see wanting to request for a trade. I kind of disagree on the Jalen Brunson take. I think right now he's kind of the guy. But if you're talking about, let's be honest, in the NBA, the goal is not to just win and be a four or five succeed. Yes, it's nice because the Knicks haven't been good for forever. But at some point, you want to win an NBA title. I don't think Jalen Brunson is the guy to bring it to the Knicks in the sense that I don't think Jalen Brunson is the guy who's going to win you an NBA title. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I think right now, this is what the Knicks have. I think Jalen Brunson's a number two scoring option. I think R.J. Barrett is a number two scoring option. R.J. Barrett's a three. I think you have the pieces in place. If, let's say, this hap- this was a hypothetical a while ago. I don't know when he's a free agent. I still think he's probably going to stay with this team. If Giannis Antetokounmpo somehow, some way, was able to go be a free agent, if you're the New York Knicks, you spend as much money as possible to get Giannis on your team. Because if you get Giannis Antetokounmpo and you pair that with your entire roster, you can talk about all you want about ball handling and blah, 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 blah. What I do if I do that, and let's say you care about ball handling, okay, simple situation. Trade Julius Randle, and that's exactly the fix to your problem because I think if you get Giannis out of the Kumbo and you don't trade Julius Randle, your team is stacked. If you trade Julius Randle, your team is still stacked. I don't see a huge difference in you know that i think that's the number one piece if you're looking at for the new york knicks that fits perfectly because he can he can his only question mark is can he shoot and you have josh hart i think rj barrett's a better shooter than he gets credit for i also think um jalen brunson is a better shooter than he he gets credit for as well uh you are mitchell robinson's a guy in the paint so it might be a little bit claustrophobic with him and uh you know Giannis, but i think you guys can work it out and i think that's the perfect fit but i think the knicks if they really want the guy Giannis is a guy you could say the fit doesn't work i think it works but i don't see a guy who's a shooting guard small forward maybe devin booker but is devin booker gonna leave the suns at any point in time I don't think so. So I think Giannis is kind of the guy. I could see Devin Booker maybe going to the Knicks. Let's say once Kevin Durant, Chris Paul retire and DeAndre Ayton somehow just disappears and he just wants out. That's the only thing I could see. But I think, I think honestly, if Devin Booker was on a different team and he wanted out, I think that would be the perfect fit for the New York Knicks to uh, be with their roster. But that's just not how, how it goes in, in the NBA world. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to have either of those guys, Giannis or Booker, but I don't. The Knicks, I mean, it may be different now because they're actually like decent right now. But you know, my entire existence as a Knicks fan is look at all these big name free agents. Like they're going to come to New York because it's New York, and then every year they don't, yeah. and then they panic and they overpay for guys like Randall when they got him, um, guys like Amari Stoudemire back in the day. Um, you know, that stuff, and it's like, okay, at one point it was LeBron's going to come to New York. They asked LeBron, he's like, I never considered going there. And then it was KD and Kyrie were going to come to New York. And honestly, that probably worked out that they didn't end up as the Knicks because we all know how that went. Um, so maybe it's different, but I don't see any of those guys coming to the Knicks. So I don't know exactly, you know, what the next step is to go from a middle-tier team to a top-contending team, given that fact. But, hey, if Giannis wants to be a Nick, I will move whatever. You can take whatever you want, basically, because he's going to already be 
head and shoulders again. And I love the guys. I love Brunson, whatever. But he's going to be head and shoulders better than anyone they have right now. And he's a needle mover. He's a guy. I mean, you've seen it with Milwaukee. Like, they've surrounded him with a lot of great talent. Don't get me wrong. But he's the reason that team works. Yeah, and you could say Luka Doncic as another guy, but these are just guys who I don't think are going to go. I think I think I have all the guys that I mentioned so far. I think Devin Booker would, might be the most likely to go, just based on the fact of Kevin Durant might retire soon. Um, I know he got three or four more years. I'm just saying, you know, you never know because of his injury, you know, kind of presence. Chris Paul, I think, is going to retire soon. And it seems like every year DeAndre Ayton is just not happy with the Phoenix Suns for whatever reason. And I could have sworn a guy that I thought he was going to be a Indiana Pacer. But that that's 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 another, you know, point for another day. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I'd have Booker, too. Um, you know, you got – the thing, the thing they do have going for them is not as much in the free agent market, but if one of these guys wanted out middle of the season in the coming years, they have a ton of picks and they have a ton of young guys that a lot of teams would definitely take. So at some point in the next year or two, if you want to package a bunch of that for a guy like Booker, then I'm all for it. Um, you know, you got Brunson, Booker, Randall, RJ, and Mitchell Robinson as your starting five. I'll, I'm feeling pretty good about that. It's pretty darn good, and that's I'm not even inc- that's that. not even including the bench pieces. Exactly, with, and and you could trade bench pieces because I think one of the most underrated players in the New York Knicks is Quentin Grimes. I, re- I I truly do believe it. I think he could be. He was the starting you know shooting guard before they got Josh Hart. Did they really need to get Josh Hart? I don't think they really need to get Josh Hart. I just think it was an added bonus for what you gave up. It was perfect, and Josh Hart's a perfect fit, and I think he, the combination of him and Brunson fits perfectly. Yeah, I think um, Josh Hart is kind of like that final piece to what this team was. Like you said, like they would have been probably decent if they hadn't done that. Um, but just like the intangibles, like it doesn't always, it sounds cliche, but it doesn't always show up in the box score what he does. Like I've watched every game since he's been on the team uh-huh. and he's getting the hustle rebounds. He's getting the steals, the fast break stuff, all the stuff that like the little things that not that none of them did, but he, and he's just like an energy guy. You know, he gets everybody fired up. He's a great piece off the bench and it doesn't hurt that he's been shooting historically well since he's come over. Obviously if that's some, at some point that's going to fall back down to average. Um, but for right now, you know, he was shutting down – who was it last night? Cam Thomas, Dinwiddie? I don't remember who it was. But they put him on there. He had caused a 24-second violation next time down. Um, he went down and wrestled a rebound out of someone's hands and threw it ahead in transition. Like, I saw someone say this, so I can't take credit for it. But if Tom Thibodeau could have built a player in the lab, it would have been Josh Hart. Just all hustle, great defense, rebounding, passing, all that stuff. So I think he's an absolutely perfect fit for this iteration of the Knicks. Yeah, and he's and you mentioned he's efficient. I think that's the most underrated thing when you're talking about just basketball or just, you know, kind of sports in general. But just to wrap up um episode thirty five for our listeners out there, you know, do you have any last words for for our listeners out there, James? Um, nothing else than other than I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Check out the episode if you weren't watching live or if you were just you hopped on late, go watch it from the beginning. And uh, yeah, I had a great time. Thanks for having me.